got a great song to play, you know. Just, uh, uh. Hello? <laughs> Have you ever snogged a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Can we... Yeah, <laughs> we're on there. Can I swear? <laughs> Shit! Welcome to Crunch and Roll. I'm John Fox, done breakfast shows across the UK, more recently some work for the BBC. Now they say, never meet your heroes, but after speaking to today's guest, I can confirm that's absolute bollocks. Martin Kellner had been there and done that before many of us could even spell the word radio. He was a pioneer on early commercial stations and an innovator, being one of the first to do zoo formats in the UK. He was also responsible for giving one of the UK's finest ever comedians her first break. We chat about the time. He was paid half as much as a horse. Uh, he found that a legendary former Radio 2 breakfast presenter had quite fruity language and tells a single funniest story ever told on this podcast. Seriously, let's crunch and roll. Oh yeah. Martin Kellner. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello, how are you? I'm, I'm great. I, I feel like I'm talking to Radio Royalty. Well, bless you. Very nice of you to say I feel you are as well. <laughs> the, the reason I say that is because we've had some, some big names on Crunch and Roll in the first series and, and more recently the second series. And um, I've spoken to a, a few of, uh, for those, of those people over the last uh, week and said that I'm chatting to you for this episode and they all got extremely excited. Oh, bless them. <laughs> do, do, you, do you feel like radio royalty? Not at the moment. Let me let, let, me let you into a secret. Um, I, you know, I was supposed to be doing this a couple of days ago, and I said I couldn't do it because I had a hospital yeah. procedure. Um, well, I'll let you know, you know this will be of interest to any medical students who might be listening. Basically, uh, I've had a kidney stone removed. Right. And um, when you have a kidney stone, it's a sort of kidney stone's largely an old man's disease. It's one of those things like, you know, I've been drinking alcohol when I should have been drinking cranberry juice. I've been drinking strong coffee in the morning when I should have been drinking, you know, fresh mountain spring water, that sort of thing. And eventually it sort of calcifies, you get a kidney stone. It's no big deal. I've had it removed, but they've put a catheter in. So at the moment I'm speaking to you with a catheter in a very personal part of my body. So I could I could actually be having a waz while, <laughs> while I'm talking to you. How about that? Well, this is a this is a crunch and roll first. I feel honored. Yeah. <laughs> will yeah. will, yeah. will yeah. you will you give me an indication, Martin, or will you just style it out? I don't actually know. It's uh, it's a bizarre. I I hate it. It's an instrument of torture. The catheter. Uh, I only have to have it in for about a week, and then uh, then you know. So it's not uh, you know not like Cliff Richard. But anyway, I do have this uh, this catheter bag at the moment, which is interesting because I read through uh, Simon's uh, you know sort of inventory of what I need to be talking about, yeah. and quite a few of the encounters I've had with famous people have been in urinals. Um, I've got a book coming out. I'm not here to plug my book, but I have got a book coming out in the spring, sort of April, May, around about that time, which is largely a collection of uh, pieces that I wrote for The Guardian when I used to do Screen Break, which was a column about sport on TV for The Guardian. So it's largely a collection of old rubbish I wrote for The Guardian, plus little bits of memoir. And I needed, they said to me, look, this book will sell better if you can get some sort of celebrity endorsement. So I'm trying to think, you know, get a celeb, somebody who's famous and on the telly to write a forward for the book. 
So even if they're not buying it for you, they might buy it for the for the famous person. And I thought, who do I know who's famous? And there are various, obviously, over the years, I've interviewed people. Yeah. And I've, I've been on Fighting Talk on Five Live a lot. So I've mixed with, you know, quite a few reasonably well-known TV comedians. But I thought, let's not start at the top. So I went to Gary Lineker. And I said to, I mean, I didn't go to him. I, I emailed, I got his email address first, which he was kind enough to give me. I sent him an email and said, you know, would you write the forward for this book? Um, we met once or twice and I tried to make out that we're, I said, and I, I vividly remember going to a Premier League do about 30 years ago. And when I was in the urinals, I met you, if you remember this, <laughs> in the urinals. And I realized that's not the basis for a lifelong friendship. But still, would you, would you write the forward? And bless him, he, he said, uh, I normally decline this kind of request, but I make a point of anybody who had a piss next to, I will write, I will write a forward for their book. So Gary Lineker is writing the forward. Amazing. Book of old rubbish, which is coming out in a few months. <laughs> what an amazing story. There we go. We're off. I love it. We're off. Good. All right. Now, um, alongside you being radio royalty, I know you are a journalist as well. So uh, forgive me if any of my research is not up to your standards. But let's go right back to the start. Am I right in thinking you're originally from Manchester? Originally from Manchester, yeah, born, brought up in Manchester. Um, my mum was um, from East London. People always ask, why do you support West Ham? Yeah, well, that was going to be my know, next bit. Why? I thought yeah. it was. But people always say that. You know, you've got two fine football teams in Manchester. Why support West Ham? Uh, my mum's from uh, East London. She's from Stepney. Uh, and I used to, she's one of about seven. So when I was a kid back in the 60s, I used to go down, spend summer holidays down there and just got into, you know, back in uh, Manchester, I was a rugby league man. You know, my dad uh, grew up with rugby league. So I'm a sort of strange combination, probably unique, I would say, in sport in this country. But I'm a strange combination of a Swinton fan, which was, you know, the rugby league team near yeah. us. Uh, and a West Ham fan because he used to go and spend, she, you know, my mum had lots of sisters and brothers, so lots of uncles and aunties down in London. So he used to spend uh, summer holidays down there. And in answer to what is possibly your next question, um, because I was spending, I used to, one of the reasons I went down there on summer holidays, and we'd be talking about 1964 now, I suspect, was um, to listen to Pirate Radio London. I used to listen to Radio London. So, you know, I grew up influenced by people like Keith Skews and Kenny Everett and Dave Cash, and people who were on, um, you know, were on Radio London in those days, you know, the Pirate Radio station, because we, we had Radio Caroline North, so I used to listen to that at home, but I went down and listened. To, so Pirate Radio, in answer to your next question, is what I was brought what I was brought up with, really. There's, there's little point me being here, Martin, because that was going to No, be no exactly. point at all. It's a, it's a monologue. I'm turning it into a monologue. No, I love it. Do you know, interestingly, so I was chatting to Simon, who produces the, the podcast, my dear friend, and having listened to to, to a lot of your stuff, I, I, I did, I said to Simon, I wonder if Kenny Everett was an influence on you. 
Oh, definitely, definitely. We anybody who grew up, you know, in my era in the sixties would, you know, Kenny Everett. I used to listen to him on Radio One. You know, after he left the uh, the pirate stations, heard a bit of him on Radio London, not as much. Heard you know quite a bit of him on Capital as you know working down in London. So uh, yeah, I'm an absolute giant of the industry. I mean, everybody says that, and it's it's a cliche, but you know, it's, it's a cliche because it's true. Yeah. Uh, he was fantastic, you know really really great and i think who else i used to like on radio one and this is a name that it's probably a name that shouldn't be mentioned but i used to enjoy chris denning he did a show called where it's at and it's disturbing how many uh how many influences have later been <laughs> later been arrested by her majesty's constabulary you know it's but chris denning i you know i used to love his show well, let's talk about your first professional gig then, Martin. So uh, am I right in thinking you started your career in 1976 at Hallam? Yes, uh, Hallam was my first uh, job in radio because um, I was in newspapers. You know, I did an apprenticeship in newspapers um, working in the West Country uh, for the Western Daily Press in Bristol. So I did that first. Um, and then went into radio news. So my first job was actually morning news editor at uh, Hallam. So, you know, five o'clock in the morning starts, et cetera, et cetera. The first show I did at Radio uh, at Radio Hallam was the country show, bizarrely. I did, the, it was two till four on a Sunday afternoon. And the guy who did it was a proper country fan. Uh, I thought, oh, country music. This would do, you know, I really wanted to be on the radio doing a show. Yeah. Um, as you can hear from me now, just like, so, you know, you, you're sort of as a news person. I did little bits of uh, two ways with the presenters, you know, as a news person. But I wanted to do my own show. And when they said this opportunity to do the country music show on a Sunday afternoon, is I thought, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. No problem. Knew bugger all about country music, obviously. So I thought, what's country music? Oh, yeah, it's steel guitars. I'll just play the Eagles for a couple of hours. So, so I play the Eagles and Poco and, uh, uh, you know, those sort of country rock bands, uh, the Birds and all that. Uh, you know, mountain of mail from people. Oh, why aren't you playing Patsy Cline? But um, there you go. So that was the first. So that first brought me into contact with um, with listener hatred for what you do, which is it's a useful lesson, isn't it? Because sooner or later, especially these days with social network, sooner or later you're going to realise how much people really hate you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got it at an early stage. <laughs> All right, so... Um... Hallam FM. I mean, you then do some brief stints. Uh, hey, it wasn't it wasn't Hallam FM in those days. Oh, I apologise. Radio. Yeah. It was Radio Hallam. Yeah, sorry, radio sorry, radio sorry. Hallam. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you presumably heard all these these songs. You know, we had a Radio Hallam song. You'll have heard that. Um, but Keith Skews, who was one of my heroes, because obviously I listened to him on Radio Pirate Radio London back in the sixties, suddenly became my boss. Um, and uh, the thing about Keith is he was sort of a bit away with the fairies and he got this song written about Radio Hallam and it said from Chesterfield, yeah, fine, we were audible in Chesterfield, to the Yorkshire Moors. And those of us a bit more geographical knowledge said, nobody's going to hear us in the Yorkshire Moors. It's bloody miles away. It's like 150 miles away. Uh, <laughs> but it was on our song from Chesterfield to the Yorkshire Moors, we'll play you the best music every day or whatever. Not as good as the Viking song, if you're from Hull. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Viking song, fantastic. Birthplace of, what's her name? A Amy, Amy Johnson. 
birthplace of Amy Johnson. <laughs> yeah. uh, go to Beverly Races. Oh, there's some. That is, um, I, I've, I've listened to that many a time and cringed. Yeah, that is, that's a beautiful bit of production. Hilarious, yeah. <laughs> so from, from Hallam, Radio Hallam, you, you go, you do some brief stints at LBC and, and Piccadilly. Yeah. That's right. I went back into news for a bit. I went to LBC as a, a producer, it wasn't me at all, uh, and worked for approximately three days on the Doug and Bob show, which anybody who's was in London, that area, you know, it was a legend, the Doug and Bob. Hello, Doug. Hello, Bob. It was Bob Holness, who later obviously did Blockbusters yeah. uh, and uh, Douglas Cameron, I don't think he's, well, I don't think either of them are with us anymore. But I, you know, I had to back time news reports and things. Wasn't for me. Um, and then I got a call from um some guy at Piccadilly who said, What are you doing? He says, Well, I'm producing at LBC, uh, but I hate it. And they said, Well, you know, somebody had obviously left or been sacked uh at Piccadilly. So I went straight up there and did uh, uh about a year on uh, news at Piccadilly and then went back to Hallam. I mean, Piccadilly was a was a big station as well, wasn't it? Big station. It was a great station. Roger Day on Piccadilly when I was there. Uh, Phil Sayer, who's sadly no longer with us, but Phil did the voice of the uh, Mind the Gap on the uh, on the tubes. No. How about that? That's he did an the amazing claim to fame. Well, yeah. <laughs> Mind the gap, and I thought I know that voice. And it, it was Phil. It's not. It's not. He was not using him anymore. And I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story about voiceovers. Um, I'm very friendly with Guy Harris. I don't yeah. know whether you know. Yeah, Guy. we know you Guy. Should, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely Guy. Yeah, you should get him on. He Guy's, won't come on. You need to tell him, Martin. There's radio uh, royalty. You can pressure him into it. Uh, maybe I could. Yeah, beautiful guy. And uh, he was telling me he went to a voiceover convention. Uh, and was sitting, I don't know whether I, if he's not coming on, I ought to tell you his story, but his story was he was sitting at the breakfast table at this voiceover convention, and uh, the woman uh, who he did name and he knows and I won't name, um, he thought, I've heard that voice somewhere else recently. It's the voice of Alexa. No. He, he, had, he had breakfast with Alexa. How about <laughs> that? I said, the temptation to say, Alexa, pass the toast. <laughs> Alexa, any more marmalade? You know, but unbelievable. He was just—he was telling me that story. It's his story. You know? <laughs> he is a tough guy. Lovely man. Yeah. Um, so from Piccadilly, you then. Um, so this is when Radio Air launched in 1981. So you go there um, to be part of the 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 original team, Martin. I was the original team. Yeah, I did the uh, two time show, ridiculous time. The guy who was in charge, uh, Jeff Sargison, was a BBC guy from BBC Radio Sheffield, and uh, therefore the, the sort of time slots and everything were very BBC local radio ish, if you like. But yeah. commercial radio in those days was quite BBC. You know, you, you'd have a features editor, you'd have a religious editor, um, all sorts, and there'd be sort of these funny little one-hour shows, you know, for uh, folk music or big band music. We had all that stuff at air, and he put me on at five fifteen till eight o'clock, which was a bizarre time to be on. The, you know, it was supposed to be, you know, the your mother wouldn't like it type because I was much younger then. So I was I was supposed to be the dangerous guy from five fifteen till uh, eight o'clock, but. Obviously, it was a ridiculous time slot because homework was done by then and people were watching the telly or whatever 
you know, kids did in those days. But we did get a good audience. We got, you know, it, it did very well amongst kids. And then they put me on the breakfast show for a while when there was sort of, you know, great management, uh, you know, a lot of bloodletting. I think the original manager went, Derek Gorman, the original program controller, uh, Jeff Sargison, he went. Um, and the chief accountant became the um, program boss. He became the boss. And he put me on breakfast because I had lots of kids listening at night time or at 5.15 and assumed that breakfast show, all the kids would come. I think the kids did come, but of course the adults didn't listen because as far as information went, it was bloody useless. I used to have <laughs> my uh, long-term sidekick, Edouard Lepaglier, yeah. I used to send him down in the radio car to the bus station, interviewing people, getting off the buses. This is like at eight o'clock in the morning, getting off buses interviewing with it you know nobody could people could understand what he was saying it was just gobbledygook really but he's very funny he's a funny guy um but uh it wasn't really what you know a new a newish commercial station uh needed to be doing at breakfast time so when you when you were at radio air because obviously later on in your career you you become a real character on air i mean you you as you mentioned the character there you you involve a lot of characters on your show which we'll talk about in a bit so was that how you were when you first started? You, I mean, you must well, have... even before the Kenny Everett type of influence, don't forget, I grew up with the stuff that's on BBC Radio 4 Extra now. You know, things like, I'm sorry, I'll read that again. The Goons, I was just a smidgen young for The Goons, but, you know, I heard The Goons as well. So, uh, and, you know, these comedians that came, Sam Costa, there was all sorts of, um, what basically were... It was probably that, like the arse end of variety, you know, variety theatres had gone to to an extent, but there were still these comedians who were characters. Um, and so I grew up with that. So I, my big ambition when I went into radio was to to be funny, you know, to to have comic characters uh, on, like I'd heard on The Goons and similar shows um, when I was a very small kid. That must have taken some balls to do that. Back in 1981. Well, it didn't, it didn't. I mean, um, because uh, Jeff Sargison had heard me on Radio Hallam, where after after starting doing news and then doing the, doing the country show and a few odd bits and pieces, uh, I'd heard me doing late nights on Hallam. I started doing that late nights on Hallam. And I think at that point, I was one of the few people that had a sort of zoo for it was I think I'm right in saying it sort of predated Steve Wright. So I was one of the few guys who was doing zoo format. I mean, I don't like to think of myself as an innovator, but I probably was to an extent. And I'm sure that nobody particularly was listening to Radio Hall. I mean, you know, they're probably people have the same ideas at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, Steve Wright, obviously influenced by all the Americans, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, all, and if you listen to the old cruising albums, they've got those DJs from like 1966 who were doing what Steve Wright in the afternoon sort of became, you know, I'm not denigrating it in any way, but you, you know what I mean? We were all had the same ideas at the same time. So I'd already started doing that on the late show at, uh, at Hallam. Now, just going back to, to Radio Air, because there was yourself and um, a couple of people who, uh, you know, I'd like to mention. So Alex Lester was there. Alex, yeah, definitely. And yeah, Alex. This might surprise you. Um, out of Alex and the guy I'm about to mention, it's the other guy that I get more excited about because he was the anchorman on my local TV. Peter Levy 
was also PC, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, PC, we some great fun. I used to piss off him something <laughs> rotten. Um, but the great thing about PC is he would uh, he'd accept it. You know, I never had. I mean, I would. Just, I, I would say that because Peter was always very tanned. So I would say, um, come next, uh, Peter Levy's had his head in the microwave again. Um, and, um, you know, but he took it all in very good part. Good presenter as well, I think. You know, we used to, like, however much we took the piss out of him, I think he was still a very good presenter. A br- brilliant presenter, yeah. Now, you left Radio Air in 1982 to present on Yorkshire TV. I did Pick of the Week, which was a Yorkshire TV production, which went networked on ITV. Right, okay. Um, what else did I do on telly? I did a thing called Calendar, It's the Weekend, where I used to go and uh, I remember going down and doing some caving for some unknown reason. We presented the show, supposedly, it was all recorded, but uh, from down a pothole. I went down with the Yorkshire, <laughs> it's ridiculous, I know. Uh, I went down with the Yorkshire Potholing Club. So, yeah, it was that sort of thing. And I'd do film reviews and uh, you know, the odd celebrity interview. I can't, you know, celebrity. I can't remember who the celebrities were. It's probably Bobby Nutt, people like that, who actually, you won't know who I'm talking about here. But uh, sort of well-known Yorkshire comedians of the era. Right. Um, Dougie Brown, those sort of people. I just wondered why you dipped out of, of radio to, to go on to telly. Was there a reason for that? Oh, I think I got sacked from uh, Radio Air. Oh, right. Yeah, they, it was, uh, I'd been invited by Radio Air to uh, return to my first love, uh, unemployment. And uh, <laughs> as, as a result of that, uh, I was just going around for any gig that was going. And in fact, I got quite a few phone calls, one of which was Yorkshire TV. Um, and Yorkshire TV in those days... It was like a money printing fact. I mean, I was earning more for doing what was basically a 20-minute insert, like that 15-minute insert onto calendar on a Friday evening. They were paying me more than uh, Radio Air were paying me to, you know, get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and do uh, five days a week and a chart show at the weekend. (laughs) You know, uh, you always do the chart show. They always do that, the breakfast guy in those days. Always oh, see, oh, well, we're going to get you a sixth show. What are we going to get you for a sixth show? You know, um, and and that was it. So, it was, you know, it was money. And the expenses at YTV, they just paid you in cash. This is such a glorious era. You would go to the, it was, we used to call it the great cash register in the sky because you'd go up to the sixth floor. Give them this piece of paper, you know, which had been signed by the editor of Calendar or whatever, and whatever was on it, they'd just pay you in cash, you know, they'd count out £10, you know, which is in 1980-whatever it was, uh, 82, 83, um, was big money, you know. And I did a program called Living It Up, which was, I'll tell you about Living It Up, you'll like this, um, it was a light entertainment, there's a, a little bit of it still on YouTube somewhere, we would ask older people, right? And in those days, by older people, anybody over 45, really, if they had a big ambition in life, and we would make their dream come true. Anyway, was this woman got in touch with us? She wanted to ride red rum. So we got in touch with the, not we, the producers and researchers, got in touch with uh, Ginger McCain, who was the trainer. And we arranged for the woman to go uh, onto the back of Red Rum. And then she'd just be led around the, around the stables a little bit. The next day, I'm in Yorkshire Telly, preparing for something else. And the uh, editor of the programme 
he left me in his office. So what do you do when you're a presenter and you're in the boss's office? You go around to his desk and read the any memos that are on his desk and uh, you read all the material. And I looked through this, and as I said, I was quite pleased with the money I was getting in Yorkshire TV, but I looked at the budget for the programme. Red Rum, all that Red Rum had to do was walk across the stage, was being paid twice as much as I was. I was being fucking out stripped by a horse. They're just dumb animals. This horse was getting twice, you know, twice what I was getting. I was outraged. Nina said I was outraged. <laughs> All right, let's get back to radio then, Martin, because yes. um, you presented, you then go from, from TV back to radio and you go to BBC Radio 2. Yes, I got on. I was on Radio Two before I was on Radio Leeds, which uh, was my first BBC job. Wow, was was Radio Two? It's when you're around a bit and people know what you do. Um, you know, it gives you a bit of a shot. And I think somebody who'd heard me on Radio Hallam, in fact, I know it was. Uh, it was a producer. I think uh, John Leonard was the first producer got in touch with me. He was a re- uh, an old Radio Sheffield guy, so he had heard me on Radio Hallam, and therefore just got in touch and said. Um, well, what he said first, well, this is bizarre, because what he, at the time I was only about 29 years old, and he said, do you want to have a shot at Radio 1? Do, do you want to have a shot at Radio 1? So I went to BBC Oxford Road in Manchester, as it was, and recorded a demo for Radio 1. The demo went to um, a producer at Radio 1 who was married to Doreen Davis, who was a producer at Radio 2. This is a bizarre yeah, crazy. Uh, circumstances. He th- listened to me and thought, he's not Radio 1. You know, he sounds older than he is, if you like. Uh, but she said, I work on Radio 2. We've got this thing going, nursery slopes, where you're going at 4 o'clock in the morning, do 4, 4 a.m. till 6 a.m., on a Saturday and Sunday morning. So that was my first gig at Radio 2. So, you know, as a, then there was a few, a lot, lot of presenters did that. I think Mike Hurley, who was, you'll know from Humberside, I think, Um, the late, great Mike Hurley, uh, I think he did that 4am slot as well. So they were trying people out. And back in 1984, because of course, you know, Radio 2 now is this huge beast of a radio station. What was was Radio 2 like back in, in 84? It was a disaster. It was an, <laughs> it was an absolute. It was an absolute. If I'm allowed to spare, it was an absolute fucking car crash <laughs> because uh, they, they just there was a lot of grey men who were sort of in charge. They often, I remember sort of going for a drink with some of these people, and it, it was like the civil service. And uh, I remember having drinks with some of these people, and I thought this is useless this station sort of thing and then francis line took over now francis um, most of my work at radio 2 in fact all of it i think i was there for a brief period under big chubby guy who took over light ends guy can't remember his name but i was there for he sacked me anyway but i was there for a little time under him but um under francis line uh, it was. She decided every show should have a big band tune. Every show should have uh, a folk tune. Every show should have a country tune. So the music policy was all over the place. Um, or as a, an old mate of mine, 
an Australian guy used to say for something that was all over the place, mate, he said, mate, it's all over the place like a mad woman's shit. <laughs> <laughs> that was basically... That was basically Radio 2 under Francis Lyne. Um, anyway, so they gave me a Saturday afternoon show. You're probably coming to this, but they gave me a oh, Saturday yeah. afternoon Carry show. On, yeah, yeah. The idea was they needed to get a younger audience because Radio 2 was a very, very old audience in those days. They needed to get a younger audience. So I was going to be, because I was slightly younger than the people they had there, you know, Gloria Honeyford and uh, uh, Jimmy Young and all those people who were all on, you know, um, I can say I'm a legend. Go back to we have worked with Jimmy Young, yeah. you know the the late Jimmy Young. Um, I've actually I've also worked with Wogan. Obviously, where so I used to do a lot of stand-ins for Sarah Kennedy. He was on five till seven thirty or whatever, and then Wogan used to take over at seven thirty. So we just Wogan used to come in and collect the papers, and it interests you to know that Terry Wogan was more foul mouth than me. <laughs> Terry Wogan gave me lessons in swearing. Um, and it, you know, can we get the papers and all that stuff? But anyway, um, where were we? Up well, to? You know, actually, Martin, before you carry on, I'm, I, I'm blown away the fact that um, Terry Wogan used to come in and get his own papers. Like, I'm surely had people do that for him. Well, there were lots of people who did that, but he did, he would come in and just have a little chat. But yeah, Terry Wogan did. But by and large, Jimmy Young used to have everything done for him. Jimmy Young used to have people would take the albums, because we were playing singles and albums in those days, would take the albums out of the sleeves, clean them, and put them in racks. Wow. For and he had a, a rack for albums and he had a rack for singles, and they'd all be in order. So were you doing all the character stuff and that you, you, you'd started at Hallam? Uh, no. no, I did. I was so, sort of Radio 2. I was being mildly white, but mainly just picking out the disaster from the newspapers, which, you know, not everybody was doing as much in those days. This is interesting because whilst at Radio 2, you then go on to also present BBC Local Network as well. At, at, yes. At the same time. Yeah, I did that at the same time. Also, um, I was doing... Um, Radio Leeds Breakfast. That was the first thing I did on Radio Leeds. It was an all-speech. Can you imagine that? It was an all-speech breakfast. Radio. So we're talking about Radio Leeds, I don't know, I lose track of the years completely. So let's say it's about 1987, 88. And Radio Leeds was still trying to do something like the Today programme. Yeah. From Leeds, unbelievable, really. But they had more resources in those days. But still, you'd have like... A panel of five councillors round the table, and you'd be discussing, you know, the new Outer Leeds Ring Road. Uh, <laughs> ridiculous, ridiculous. Um, so I did a bit of that, and then I think I may. At some point in this period, I went to Pennine Radio. Uh, I don't know if you got that on your list. No, we haven't. Blimey, Martin! There's so much that we've, we're learning. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I did two shows at Pennine Radio. I did uh, Pennine Radio. Breakfast, that's what I went to do, breakfast at Pennine. And then I left because I got a big chunk of standing at Radio 2. And um, Will Venter's lovely guy, who was the head of uh, Pennine, said, well, you go and do whatever you want to do at Radio 2. There'll always be a place for you here at Pennine. So I went to Radio 2 and did, it was probably about, Six to eight weeks, I think, standing in for Sarah Kennedy. But I wanted to do the stand-in rather than carrying on with my own sort of breakfast show on Pennine. Uh, a, because it was more money, a lot more money. And B, because I thought that might lead to 
um, the show that I was born to do, which is obviously the Radio 2 Breakfast Show, but it didn't. <laughs> you were born to do it, though, Martin. Just didn't happen. Just didn't happen. Um, didn't happen. So Pennine Radio, then back to doing Radio Two, and then then we then so there's a lot, isn't there? So you're doing BBC Leeds, and then BBC Radio Two, and then the network. Yes, I did um, the night network, um, which changed. It was initially midweek nine till uh, midnight, I think. Um, a lot of star people working on that uh, went into sport. You know, the six till nine. I have to tell you a funny story about that. Um, basically. We were serving all the local radio stations. And at one point, we were serving all the local radio stations for Lancashire and Cumbria and the Northeast. And you think how many stations that is. We got a T-shirt made with all the frequencies on it. Uh, Edward, who worked in print in those days, printed me this fantastic T-shirt with, you know, listen to Martin Kellner on 92.4, 93.7, you know, for all the wavelengths and all the different radio stations. Um, on. But, yeah, we're, so we, we did that. But... Because we were serving, let's imagine we were just serving um, the Yorkshire stations at this uh, at this stage. What I had to do, and the show was set up to do a bit of politics, a bit of arts, but when there was football, we had to do all the sport. And you can imagine, so we're doing all the sport for Hull, um, you know, obviously Humberside Station, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Sheffield. Uh, Leeds Station, York, Sheffield, and there was a couple of other stations as well, maybe even Lincolnshire. We did a couple, there's about six stations, and we're doing this show nine till 12. And I've got the last hour, 11 till 12, Edouard Lapaglier comes in. I've got Mrs. Merton doing a bit at uh, 10.30, you know, so it's a, it's a great show. Uh, but night, the early bit, they wanted to be still be newsy, right, nine till 10. But then with sport as well, nobody thought about that at all. Uh, and I got uh, a guy called Michael Meadowcroft, who was a Liberal MP in, in uh, Leeds. He was, um, at the time, the, it, it was all going down in former Yugoslavia. So it was a Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina. It was that, there was the violence and the war was going on. And this guy was one of the people, because he'd been a, a parliamentarian for a long time, was going to organise free and fair elections. And he'd just returned from Sarajevo, where he'd been organising this conference of people. And he says to me, without a word of a lie, this is, uh, I wish I'd kept the clip. So he says to me, this, I have to tell you, Martin, is the most important issue for world peace at the moment. If these talks are not carried on, what is going to happen in the world is that the East is going to attack. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to uh, interrupt you there, Michael. There's been a goal at Worksop. And, and Worksop Town has scored a goal. And Radio Sheffield on the goal at Worksop, goal at Worksop. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Oh, that is an amazing story, Martin. Yeah, it's one of my favourites. <laughs> oh, wow. it was just it was so BBC. That, oh, that yeah. was just yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. BBC local. <laughs> All right. So, um, BBC Network. So, as you, you've mentioned, you know the characters that you had there, um, and you've mentioned Caroline Hearn as well. How did that relationship start? How did you how did you become you know, to, to work together? 
Well, I'll tell you exactly. I was on Radio 2 on a Saturday night at that stage or round about that stage. Again, it's people that you bump into. Um, and Mark Radcliffe was my producer. Wow. About that. Yeah. Mark Radcliffe produced me at Radio 2. Um, and um, Mark Radcliffe in those days never went anywhere without his uh, company sidekick, Frank Sidebottom. So because I was on Radio you know, Frank Sidebottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blimey, boss. <laughs> oh, that's great, boss. I used to love so, Frank Sidebottom. Oh, Frank Sidebottom was a genius. Absolute genius. Uh, Chris Seavey, fantastic. Anyway, so Frank is uh, on my show on Radio 2 because any show that Mark uh, Radcliffe produces has to have um, Frank Sidebottom on it. And uh, I think I had uh, Tony Capstick, Sheffield comedian, did shows on BBC Radio Sheffield. Yeah. They were They were my sort of comedy sidekick-ish type characters. Usually, used the, because it was Radio 2, used a lot more conservatively, especially with Francis. Um, used, yeah. So they were used in like five-minute chunks. So we would get Frank Sidebottom out to do a, a star celebrity interview. So he would interview famous people as Frank Sidebottom. So an interview like Clive Lloyd, the famous uh, West Indian cricketer who played for Lancashire, he interviewed him and uh, he would ask ridiculous Frank Sidebottom questions. So he'd say, oh, Clive Lloyd, the fantastic cricketer, so you're fantastic. Uh, Clive, what happens if you lose the ball? And it was <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and uh, he, just, he did, there's uh, another name that we shouldn't mention, um, he interviewed uh, Cyril Smith, who was the uh, Liberal MP for Rochdale, later exposed as a, a child abuser, whatever. And he says, um, what do you do? Uh, I've got Cyril Smith, fantastic uh, MP person with me. What do you do, Cyril, when there's all night sittings? If you want a sandwich, what do you do? <laughs> and that would be, that was that was his shtick. But because I had Frank Sidebottom on the show, the uh, tech op says to me, he says, my girlfriend, uh, does funny voices like and you know and you sound to me Martin like the sort of guy who likes funny voices on his shows. Oh, I love funny voices. He said, "Have a listen to my um, girlfriend. I've got a tape." And it was you know because he was a tech op and it was a nice ewer. You know, he gave me the tape and uh, he recorded it on a ewer properly. I took it off, listened to it. You know, just certain radio. Is I thought well. I don't like to think that I'm uh, you know I'm an innovator, but I did think to myself, wow. She's definitely got something. She, the, the, the tape that he gave me was called Mrs. Merton's Choice. And uh, basically, it was a sort of like her doing Housewives Choice. So she'd, she'd play a tune. It was very sort of, very Radio 2-ish. She'd play a tune and she said, um, that's Eddie Calvert there, the man with the golden trumpet. He's dead at the moment. And then she, she'd do all that sort of little very throwaway lines um so i thought oh, this is uh, this is funny we yeah we can use her and you know mark agreed uh and frank actually she went out on tour with frank sidebottom actually as well so you know it was all part of the, that sort of manchester little universe of uh, of people um dave gorman he's another guy who was part of that little manchester universe of uh, comedy uh, Craig Cash, obviously, later was a was a, a later boyfriend of uh, Caroline, and they did stuff on the Stockport station. I don't know what it's called. I think it's Signal, maybe Signal. Okay, I think they did yeah, yeah. 
it was as simple as that. Um, you know, I heard the Caroline tape, liked it. Said, how do you like to go? Oh, yeah, you know, she was up for anything. You know, she was really up for it. Do you know, so, so last night, I, I spent a bit of time just refreshing my memory of some of the things that you did on yeah, BBC I mean, Local. And th- th- there was a clip where you were talking to Caroline um, as Mrs. Merton. And it was quite risky, wasn't it, at times? You were talking about the yeah, sun. Yeah. It was hot. How that excited you a little bit, Martin. And for the BBC, I mean, that must have just blown them away. Well, yeah, I think the thing about it was nobody used to bloody listen. <laughs> you know, they, they, they didn't. You know, that you could do virtually anything uh, late at night. You know, people didn't, people just did not listen, you know, in, in terms of management, didn't listen. Helen Thomas, not the same Helen Thomas who's had a radio too, but a different Helen Thomas was in charge of your local BBC station, BBC Radio Humberside. Um, and I think either she or her partner listened at some point uh, and decided well, I wasn't for Humberside. So at one stage, I was just going, I was going out in Sheffield, uh, Leeds and York, not going out on Humberside because she she put her own programme on uh, Humberside because I was too, she'd obviously heard some of that stuff that you've heard and thought, oh, you know, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't, this isn't Radio Humberside, this. Um, so we got a jingle made. The Radio Sheffield jingle person, who was really good, um, when it was time for the new Radio Sheffield idents to be made, we got her to do this ident saying, Martin Kellner, too hot for Humberside. <laughs> uh, and we used to put that out on a regular basis. And I also, because we had them on the ring main, um, again, BBC local radio people know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. The ring main, we used to every say, I wonder what they're doing on Humberside. And we'd open the phaser on Radio Humberside just to see um, how bland it was. And sometimes they'd be playing a really good tune. And I'd say, God, it's better than what we're doing. So no wonder they've, you know, and it, so we'd have fun with that. So BBC Local Network, uh, weekend late show across the north of England. I mean, it, it was a legendary show. Well, thank you. It didn't, I, I'm not sure it was legendary in audience terms, but the people who liked it really liked it. I never got to see any of yours. I think it was because we did okay. I did much better. I was moved to uh, Radio Leeds Breakfast, you know, when it was a more of a music, more of a loose format. Um, and that did very well for audiences, but not sure about the late night. They never told us anyway, but like, it's hard to, uh, you know, with the radio system as it is, uh, if you're doing breakfast you should be getting a good audience if you're on radio two where everything gets a big audience you will get a big audience you know because people people don't know what they're listening to for a start yeah. um and the radio system you know kelvin mckenzie who took over at uh thought sport he was the editor of the sun the one one of the few things that i have to agree with him 100 percent is that radio is just a ridiculous system and I've, I've said that when I've had high figures and when I've had low figures. Yeah. You know, when they've come out to me and said, breakfast up, like you've got 42,000 extra listeners. Uh, I've also, yeah, it's nice, but it doesn't mean a thing. I know a dear friend of mine who uh, worked in the industry, he was the boss at Radio Clyde in Scotland. And I remember him getting, because he was he was the PD, getting very nervous every three months about Ray Jar. Yeah. And uh, the receptionist there um, saw that he was obviously, you know, Happy his pants about the figures that were about to come out, and she says, "Mike, I don't know why you worry because in Rajar sometimes it goes up and sometimes it goes down." That was, was it. Well, <laughs> she, she was Welsh, was she? 
<laughs> I'm just auditioning for your next show, Martin. I'll, I'll give you my number at the end. Um, yeah. All right. Now, I, I want to get on to the, to the Radio Leeds thing in, in a bit, but there's there's a couple of stations in, in between. So um, you presented the show Five Aside on on the brand new BBC Radio yeah, Five yeah. Live back in 1990. So talk yeah. talk me about talk talk me through that. Oh, that was the most ridiculous show. That was an absolute bizarre show. It was an absolute dog's breakfast. Everybody would say that, the Radio 5. Um, Danny Baker, great, great show, did breakfast. I'm not sure he did it from the start. But it was all bizarre, because in the middle of it, there'd be uh, a Radio 3 show, uh, and the British Forces Network would be on there. So my show, the lead into my show was something from the BBC World Service. I re- you know, Radio 4 would have rejected it as being too high right um you know melvin bragg would have been scratching his head i can't understand this it was some world service show and then they went into five aside it was called for some unknown reason it would be a mix of all sorts of stuff and then they'd do a special where you know it'd be a health special for one day um but i had mrs merton on there i used to have carolina hearn on there but they, you know, it was just all sorts of shit was thrown in, and they do national travel, but they do it from like four different centres, and the travel news would last. If anybody remembers this, this travel news would last like three and a half minutes, you know, and when you had very little time anyway, because there'd be news bulletins, there'd be sport bulletins. And it was very difficult to make anything out of that. It was just the most ridiculous show I'd ever done. Um, and round about Christmas, I think I, I started the show on, um, I can always remember this, because my uh, third child was born on the day the show started. So it was uh, the 28th of August, 1990 is when the show started. Uh, and they had a big launch. And I couldn't go to the launch because I, uh, I wanted to get back uh, and see my uh, see my uh, child being born, and she's now on Sky News, as it happens. Yes, we know. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Very talented family. Um, well, bless you, bless uh, you. And then, so from that, um, as you described it, bit of a mess. Um, yeah. You then go to do breakfast on on Jazz FM in Manchester. Yeah, I did breakfast on Jazz FM Manchester for about maybe two years. No, two years. Yeah, two this, years. I remember that. And this is when Jake Yap turns up. I met Jake at Radio 2. He was in the uh, trails department at Radio 2. So I met him then. And at one point, I've done some other shows that probably aren't on Wikipedia because I was at Radio Gloucestershire. I did uh, a couple of weeks at Radio Gloucestershire just when somebody that I knew was the the breakfast show guy was on holiday. So I went there for a couple of weeks. And Jake, I think, joined me on that. And then I did late nights on Radio uh, Oxford, or they called it Thames Valley FM. We did it from Oxford, but Jake used to come up on a Friday. I was doing Radio 2 stand-ins. That would probably be during that eight-week period of long stand-ins on Radio 2. I would drive up to Oxford on the uh, Friday night with Jake. Um, so we'd go and we'd have a couple of drinks and then go and do uh, Thames Valley FM late night show. So, sorry, was, just stop me there, Martin. So you'd, you'd go for a couple of beers and then you'd do the show? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> only a couple. I know, you know, I've only been drunk on air probably twice. I know that was one of your things, uh, occasions when you were drunk on air. Uh, never been totally, I always sort of held it together, to be honest. So I haven't really got a particularly good drunk on air story. I've got 12, 12 radio stations you've never heard of that I've worked 
Please don't take offence by this, but your career is very complicated, Martin. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I can't even... If I wasn't... You know, I was so delighted to do this podcast because I thought it'll be a bit of a sort of aid memoir yeah. because I can't remember <laughs> things, that I, things that I've done. I really can't, you know. Um, I can remember some of the stories, but not... You know, I can remember interviewing Victoria Wood when I was a little bit pissed uh, and she came in with Julie Walters, can you imagine that, on the Radio Hallam Late Show, they were doing uh, a show, so it would be about 77, 78, around about maybe 79, around about that era. Um, they started their career doing a show at the Crucible in Sheffield called uh, Talent, which is about a, a, about a sort of like an X-Factor type winner uh, sort of thing. Uh, and uh, I interviewed uh, those two and Victoria Wood got very uh, upset with me because um, I said that um, because I came from a similar part of Manchester to her, I think I'd said that, you know, you just name, just name people after places near Bury. So if you just call people Ramsbottom or, uh, you know, and I thought of like three or four different, that makes you funny, doesn't it? And she was, she was, she was very shy. Um, Julie Walters was brilliant, but I remember uh, Victoria would be in very hard work. Very hard work indeed. Um, but of course, later, fantastic. So let me ask you a question, Martin, because you've done, I want to get onto BBC Radio Leeds because you go on to do breakfast. Um, but you've done Lates and Breakfast. I know you've done pretty much all shows, but mainly Lates and Breakfast. Out of the two, which do you prefer to present, Breakfast or The Late Show? I think probably The Late Show. I mean, Breakfast is good because it's over early. And uh, certainly if you're a very busy person uh, and you're doing lots of voiceovers, I never was that busy. You know, I was never in demand so much for voiceovers. I, was, I wasn't in panto, so I wasn't doing any of that. Um, as we've already discussed, I was shit at TV, so I wasn't doing loads of TV. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're a busy person, breakfast is ideal. If you're not busy and you like to mess around with bits of tape and record stuff with you, you know, with people and think of funny shit to say, late's is much better. You know, you can, you've got all day to mess around and do that stuff. And, you know, go out and have lunch and have a coffee and pick your kids up from school. So BBC Radio Leeds, you do breakfast and then you do mids. And um, a lot has been said and written about you leaving BBC. Yeah, me Radio especially, Leeds. from me mostly. Yeah. But um, I can't keep your mouth shut. I, it obviously didn't affect the BBC too much because then... Obviously, they allowed you to go to Five Live and do fighting talk. So we'll get onto that bit in a second. Are you still angry that you you lost your gig? No, not at all. Because um, I, I, it would have gone anyway. You know the way the BBC local radio is. Um, that would have gone. So no, not angry. Um, and fetched up a talk sport, which, in actual fact, uh, at my time of life and with my interests uh it's an ideal um spot for me not to say that i won't lose that soon anyway you know because overnights you're always on a you know fairly sticky wicket because you're at the end it depends what you know what time uh what the times organization rupert murdoch and all that uh, decide to do so economically anything could happen but you know i've um, had a decent run oh. Uh, an amazing run, Martin. Amazing yeah. run. So let's talk about BBC Radio Five Live. So Fighting Talk, which is extremely popular. How did you become part of that? 
Johnny Vaughan was doing it in the very early days. Uh, I was at Jazz FM, actually, and somebody said to me, why aren't you doing fighting talk on uh, Five Live? It's absolutely made for you. You know, it's football and guys talking shit and being funny or whatever. Uh, and I phoned the producer up without a word of a lie. I said, I'm being approached by a lot of people saying, why aren't I doing fighting talk? Uh, this is Simon Cross, the producer, still the producer. So I said, uh, I'm being approached by people. You know, I can't walk down a street in Manchester without people stopping me and saying, <laughs> why aren't you on fighting talk? So uh, he put me on fighting talk. And that's how I phoned up and asked for the job. How about that? Well, do you know what? I mean, that is great advice. I'm going to be doing exactly the same once we start. So do it. <laughs> do it. It works. So just on um, fighting talk then, Martin, just, just explain how it all works. How does it? What are the mechanics behind it all? Yeah, well, we get the questions in advance. I mean, people must realise we get the questions uh, in advance. Not that long in advance. You know, sometimes it's the morning of the show. We uh, we do it on a Saturday, live, 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 live. I'll tell you what the problem with Fighting Talk is. They give us the questions, say, on a Thursday night. You go through the questions. You decide what you're going to say. Now, because um, you don't want people saying the same things, you know, so if, the, for instance, if they were to say, uh, who is the, who is the Millwall of the Royal Family, you know, you know what I mean? or who is, describe uh, a footballer as a biscuit, they're going to have to speak to the next person who's on the show. So they speak to all four panellists, just to check they're not going to say the same thing. Yeah. So they run you through exactly what you're going to say. Now, the um, producer, Mike Holt, he laughs at everything. He, so sometimes you go in there, that, you know, he is a really brilliant laugher. So you think you've got the funniest stuff in the world because he laughs so heartily at it. Oh, that's a great answer, Mark. That is a brilliant answer. Uh, and then you come on the next day, you deliver the same stuff, get nothing. And you think to yourself, Oh dear. So yeah, we 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 get I mean people nobody thinks that we do it live live live. Uh and people do different uh different levels of preparation. I did the show once with Kevin Bridges. Uh you know the uh, Scottish comedian. comedian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he came down on that morning from Glasgow on the train and he'd written like three lines whereas you know and he was brilliant. He was hilarious. And all he'd written was just little, you know, little sort of memory jerkers for himself. And yet you get other people, not the comedians so much, but some of the comedians actually, who basically come in with a laptop and they've got it all word for word on their laptop. My key thing is any other business um, when I don't have to talk about football or sport or anything and I can just say what's been pissing me off in life which is um you know which they like i did a thing about uh, country vegetable soup which is one of the best ones <laughs> I, went, I, went, I went into a cafe uh and it said uh, special of the day country vegetable soup so i said to the waitress what country is it from so she says no it's um it's vegetables country vegetable soup so I said, yeah, but that tells me nothing. I said, I mean, is there, for instance, an urban vegetable soup, which is like stuff that they found on the pavement in the middle of Sheffield? Or, you know, why is country vegetable soup? Uh, so that was the sort of thing that I was always famous for doing. Kind of pan fried. I used to say, it used to say, oh, pan fried chicken. So I said, well, what else are you going to fry it in? <laughs> are people using satellite dishes? You know, what are they using to fry? So they're putting it in buckets and frying it. So that, those were my 
bits, you know, pan fried. In my um, hospital questionnaire, you know, I told you I've had this kidney stone yeah, yeah. removed. They want to know everything, every health issue. So they sent me a 10-point thing with like 300 questions. And one of the questions was um, about allergies. I'm not, I haven't got any allergies. But anyway, so you had to go down and say each allergy, if you had them. It said, are you allergic to shellfish? And my immediate reaction was, why? Is there any chance I'll be served lobster thermidor in hospital? <laughs> I've, you know, I've pinned a field. So, you know, the only thing I've seen anybody offer in hospital is either a, a cheese sandwich or a ham sandwich on white bread. You know, clearly all this money that the Tories are pouring into the NHS, you know, they're pouring this money into the NHS, and obviously the catering standards have improved. It was a technical problem. You heard something on there you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. We've touched on so much um, throughout your career, and I know you, you pointed that we haven't we've missed a couple of things, but you have done real radio, Yorkshire. We've got Yorkshire radio down yeah. here, Pennine Radio, as you mentioned, BBC Radio, Cleveland, Thames Valley, so many stations. Here's a question for you, Martin. <laughs> Which one's been the best? What's been the highlight for you? Do you know what? I've always enjoyed what I was doing at the time. You know, I really enjoyed doing breakfast on Radio Leeds. Enjoyed the lunchtime show. Um, it was great. Probably, I don't know. I like to, I, I love doing what I'm doing now. Even though it's overnights, which is a real pain in the ass, I do love doing it. Um, and I've always loved what I'm doing, you know, which is ridiculous because, you know, I'm over 70 now and, I, and I'm still doing what I enjoy doing. And if I didn't enjoy doing it, I, I never want to, I don't play golf. Uh, I don't ski. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got no hobbies, no hobbies at all, no hobbies. Very few friends. I don't know what I, I you know, kids have all gone. Um, I don't know what I'd do if I wasn't doing uh, talk sport. You know, so um, well, there'll be a point at which I'm probably not doing talk sport, and then which I'll probably be dying. Uh, so that, so that'll give me something to do. Um, but, you know, I've got a book coming out. Did I mention I've got a book coming out in a couple of months? Um, so anybody who's enjoyed this, there are some more stories in the book. Um, and when I saw your little um, your little sort of uh, inventory of what you wanted me to talk about, um, I know I'm not really – memorable awards dues was one of the things. Yeah. Um, I'm famously uh, never been awarded it. Jake Yap and myself for uh, Dora Dale which if nobody's heard some of the Dora Dale, there's lots of clips of that on uh, YouTube, and it, it does crop up on BBC Radio 4 Extra quite a lot. Yeah. Um, Jake's a genius. Jake is an absolute genius. And uh, we did um, – we, we got nominated for the Comedy Award, and then we we turned and we were, you know, we were quite confident because it was a, it was a great show. It really was. Um, but we got there. And uh, so we get to – this is one of the Sonys. It was the proper Sonys, full Full sit down, knife and fork, bottles of wine, you know, lots of uh, largesse. Those days, long gone. <laughs> but yeah, so we're there for the Sony Radio Comedy Award, and we look at the table plan. And there's this table sort of at the front has got uh, the people we know are going to win, win awards. It's got Andy Kershaw and Colin Murray, and you know, people who we know are going to get awards. And then we looked at the table plan. Where's our bloody table? And there we are right at the back, right next to the bogs. And on our table, it's got BBC Radio fucking Barnstable and, uh, <laughs> and uh, Independent Radio Carlisle. It's, you know, and we thought, we're at the non-awards table. <laughs> we're at the non-awards table. 
But believe, believe me, Martin, I've experienced the Sony's a couple of times, and both times my table was at the back as well, mate. So don't yeah. you worry about that. You know, you know, don't you? So yeah, very much a, a non-award uh, nominee. Amazing stuff. And do you know, whilst we record this this podcast, Martin, you you were pretty much a pioneer because you, you did the the piss poor podcast, but before any of us started doing podcasts. Yes, with the first people. I'd say Danny Baker had started it. Danny Baker could make no money from his podcast, stopped doing it. Because Edwards was a very early adopter of, uh, of the internet uh, and Apple, he had Apple Macs before anybody in the world had Apple Macs, uh, and set me up with, a, with an email address when I was still doing late nights on Radio 2. And there were like about four people in the world who could email me. And it was like, it was a big feature. So he set up a, a system whereby um, our Pisspool podcast would arrive in their inbox, but only if they paid us some money through PayPal. Um, so, you know, we were, we, were ma- we were the only people in the world who were making money out of podcasts. But of course, the, once every bugger in the world was doing a podcast, no offence. Um, <laughs> they uh, <laughs> Really no offence. Uh, once every bugger in the world was doing a podcast, of course, you know, the, it became very difficult. And, uh, and also, for a, a variety of reasons, you know, we stopped doing it. I mean, I'm still, uh, I still go around and have a, a coffee with him uh, once a week. Um, but he didn't fancy doing it anymore. I didn't fancy doing it anymore. It was, you know, and it, I was feeling it was wrong to charge people. There's still like millions of them out there, I think, somewhere. Uh, and the, some of the people, some of the people without a word of a lie, are still, li- we've not done it for a couple of years, but they're still listening. You know, they still haven't caught up yet. Because yeah, yeah. we were doing it every week and it was about an hour and a half, you know. Well, Martin, thank you so much. For That's being been a pleasure on this this podcast, um, I started by saying there's a couple of things I want to say. Firstly, I started by saying that um, you're radio royalty, and you are. And you know, we've been through your career. Um, you're still doing at it. You're still at it. You're still enjoying it. Still at it. That's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> rather than being radio royalty, I'm sort of radio longevity, if you like. Yeah, but you, I mean, your, your CV is is incredible. Um, and I think there's one burning question, which I think it's not just myself, but it's probably everybody, the thousands that will be listening to Crunch and Roll in this this very special episode with yourself. And I think that question is, have you been for a piss throughout the last hour and a half? Do you know what? I'd have to check my back <laughs> to see. Uh, I can do that. I can do it on camera if you want to. I won't. <laughs> turn people off. But uh, yeah, I probably have. Just let me have a feel. <laughs> Yeah, I have actually. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have had a piss. You know, so there you go. Funny guy, I was doing, uh, yeah, Colin Murray does late nights on uh, uh, on Radio 5 Live. Yeah. And uh, I was doing one of his, uh, he does a little sort of discussion thing. I was doing one of those. And when it came to the news, I did disappear and have a piss, but obviously it was on Zoom. So he could see me going out of the room into the bathroom. And he, the bastard, when he came back on air, because there were three of us. The other two were obviously younger people. Three of us, and he said, and what's more, Martin Keller was the only one that had to go off for a was in the middle of that. <laughs> there you go. Well, Martin, thank you very much for being on Crunch and Roll. Very welcome. You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Martin Keller. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as they drop. Crunch and Roll is a 969 media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon Borshovsky. 
I hope this all makes sense. Just shout if you need any more info. That's probably not part of the script. Oh, yeah. Now, just Will you edit that out? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. You don't... <laughs> <laughs> now... I wasn't sure how we never edited anything. Oh, did you not? Podcast, so oh, no, not no. not a thing. We did the whole thing. You know, we should have. We should have edited, but we didn't. <laughs>